Hello, welcome to episode number 279 of the Applelog Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Head. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by AIXDSP.com. Get affordable and useful plugins. Get the IC Intuition Compressor. It's a compressor that gives you a clear and intuitive visual display that shows exactly what is happening in your audio at all times. Click the link in the description for more information. Thank you for shopping on Amazon. I see happy shoppers there on Amazon. And now that everybody is sort of somewhat locked down, well, you know, that's wrong for me. You can go to applelog.ca slash Amazon or applelog.ca slash US Amazon to shop and support the show. Uh, you can do it the other way too by going to the homepage, applelog.ca, and click on those banners located on the right side. Locate your country, whether you're from Canada, the United States, or the UK. Bookmark those links, and every time you shop on Amazon, use those links to shop and support the show, and it costs you no extra money. Support my work on Patreon, patreon.com slash Pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with hosting and gas fees, and you can cancel at any time. Go buy a t-shirt from applelog.ca slash shop. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes, please. Give it five stars. Like and share on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash Follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666, and there's no Instagram, and there might even be no Twitter. I mean, I'm kind of getting sick of Twitter. Uh, today on the show is Mr. Dennis Jaggert from the band Ten Foot Pole. He's the principal songwriter, the lead singer, the, the founding member. His band before that was called Scare Straight in the 80s. Uh, Ten Foot Pole had a big, a big rush of uh, popularity in the early 90s when punk rock became popular and smashed those hair metalers smashed them and dennis and i go back a little bit because my band foursquare toured with 10 foot pole across europe uh, in the month of may in 2004 and we've been friends ever since and dennis also is a front of house sound guy he's worked for prince he's worked for jimmy Eat world there's no other bands to work for after you work for prince or jimmy Eat world you might as well just retire Dennis, like I said, is a long-standing friend of mine. Uh, I consider him a peer and a friend and a mentor all at the same time. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Dennis Jaggert of Tenfa Pole on the Outlaw Podcast. His second visit, by the way. You look good, man. You take care of yourself. Oh well, I try to. I I gained forty three pounds. Wow. Are we are we rolling now? We are now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I gained forty three pounds since February. I was on some kind of like a kind of a relaxed keto diet, and I was down twenty five. And then um, the pandemic came around, and I got really sick right at the beginning of it. And I and I was like, well, I don't know if I have it or not. They wouldn't test mm -hmm. at the time. They didn't even I think have the ability to test. And so I was like, well, what if I die while I'm not eating ice cream? You know, and I kind of felt like if I'm going to go, like, go why like spend the last couple of weeks or whatever I've got left not eating my favorite like toast and ice cream? And so, yeah, so that was just the start. And like after a month or so, I felt a lot better, but I still kept eating the ice cream. 43 pounds later, I'm yeah. uh, I'm back on a diet again. Yeah, I mean. I'm I'm with you, man. Like I go up and down, and I'm a, I'm on a high up right now. But I, I it, it's tough to 
you know, as you get older, it's tough to manage how to, you know, what to, first of all, you can take care of yourself, which is, is people are always trying to do that. I'm always, you know, I walk, I buy ride bikes, but it's just this goddamn weight thing, you know, and it's, it's a thing. It's a vain thing, but at the same time, it's actually a health thing. Like we got to, you know, I, we're not getting any younger, right? We're about the same age. Yeah. I'm uh, 51. Yeah. I'm, I'm 50. Or no, wait, maybe I'm 52. <laughs> I don't remember. I, I changed in July, but now I, I'm going to go back to 50 uh, next year because this this is not this isn't happening right now. So when January yeah, hits, we're denial. just we're just starting all over again. It definitely makes it harder to lose the belly thing. Yeah. Like when I uh, I'm back on a diet, and the first thing that happens is I see I notice a, my arms getting smaller. I see the muscles shrinking in my arms. It's like why can't the the weight leave the midsection? <laughs> it's it has to. Um, I don't work out with weights, but I have two dogs and one of them loves to play tug of war. Yeah. And so my main workout, in fact, I just finished it. I'm still a little out of breath is basically, you know, doing curls and pulling a rope while my dog throws her weight against it, which can tear the rotator cuff I've found. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. I basically do kinds of like weird, like rowing motions and curls and try to, um, move my body in different ways that are challenging without, um, hurting myself and that's my workout and and i'm actually pretty buff you can't see me and because we're <laughs> videos uh not up today but yeah like i'm i'm pretty buff and then like two weeks into the diet i'll have lost like all the weight i lost will be in my biceps <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well i can't lose it as fast as that like I, if someone said hey you're now a famous actor you have to lose 20 pounds they, if they say you need to bulk up that's no problem i can do that but if they mm-hmm. say like if you want to be in raging bull part two or whatever uh, where you have to sort of lose 40 and then gain 80. I can gain the 80, no problem. It's just losing that 40 is a, it's a tricky one. But, uh, you know, we're all trying. We're all trying. And, and, you know, as we get, like I said, as we get older, it gets harder, but it makes me want to work harder when I do. You know, like I've been riding a bike and trying to, trying to just trying to keep fit, you know, and yeah. not being in like a weekly regimen of being in a band. Like, actually, that's where I lost the most weight is actually rehearsing in a rehearsal space, like sweating and moving. Yeah. That's all it took. It's like aerobics. Yeah. On my first few tours, I lost a lot of weight. And it's funny you say being being uh, intentional about it. I just moved uh, a treadmill into the house that uh, my wife and boy were kind of using in the garage. But it's August in Boise, Idaho, and there's a lot of flies. It's just not pleasant mm-hmm. in the garage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I moved it into the family room where, more important than the pleasantness, uh, being able to watch TV. Like <laughs> I found that at a, at a workout place. Once I was at a gym when I was traveling and they had this movie, like the cinema club and you could be on a bike or a treadmill. And of course I'd get into a film and all of a sudden 40 minutes would go by. Whereas yeah. normally I get on a treadmill and I'm like one, 1000 two. Okay. I'm going to stop when I get to 11. <laughs> it's just so boring. Yeah, but yeah. when it's going on all of a sudden it's like, well, I really should stop. Cause I've just walked like 20 miles. But I got to find out how this ends. Yeah, yeah. Now, when did you move up to Boise? When when did that happen? Because you were a Simi Valley guy for ever, right? Like for since childhood. I I grew up in Simi Valley. I went to school in the Bay Area. My my uh, dad was from the San Francisco area, and I went to UC Berkeley. And for a while, I lived with my grandparents. And and uh, my grandma eventually got tired of having me around, and I moved to uh, San Francisco for a while. That was really fun. Uh, but then I went back to Simi Valley because my dad made me an offer, which I thought was really awesome to um, manage the sound company that I'd kind of worked at as a child, like growing up. He he made the 
inertial navigation systems like cruise missiles and stuff like that for defense. But on the side, he had this film and sound company that for a while I, I ran it and got really into the audio part of it. But, um, but the deal was basically that I could manage the company. Um, but, and then I got to keep all the profit, but we never talked about what level of reinvesting in capital would, no. would happen before we determined what was a net income. Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> so it's kind of like when you do your taxes, which is one of the things that's kind of rough about the PPP loans and stuff is that they they do the disaster relief for small businesses based on what your net income is rather than your gross income. Yeah. And the reality is that someone like me, if I think I'm going to have net income, I buy guitars. Yeah, Like I'm just like, oh, I'm going to have a positive. I, I need more investments because that means I'm going to be paying 30% on taxes. And so um, I'd rather get a 30% discount on a guitar and have that money go toward equipment. Yeah. And I'm like, I bought a tour van and, but anyway, I digress there. But <laughs> the point is that I worked for my dad for several years and we're just, I wouldn't say, I, I mean, I didn't work hard year round, but some parts of the year were like a crazy hard push. And there were years when I made nothing, yeah. <laughs> just nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you, at the time you're still navigating through getting a band working through tours or is this or is this sort of after Temple that's before pole? i started touring yeah so that was after scared straight okay, but while yeah. 10 foot pole was just getting going yeah so i graduated from college in the in 1990 and so so after living in san francisco for a little while i went down to simi valley and got um kind of my la roots back growing and that's when we restarted doing scared straight and we recorded an album called swill yeah and then after we recorded in fact after we ordered the first three thousand units we changed the name to 10 foot pole. Yeah. So 10 foot pole was scared straight. It just changed the name. Mm -hmm. And then 13 years ago, I, I moved to Boise, Idaho because, um, I had been doing a lot of touring as a sound engineer as well as, as with the band. And so, um, it just made sense to have my wife be by her family. So I had, I had pulled her out of Idaho to LA and after 10 years, we were kind of ready to, uh, come back <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah plus there's cheap land and yeah. and i have a big yard and i have dogs yeah now fi finally i've i always wanted doggies and uh yeah. with the yard i was able to do it so yeah and things change too when it comes to the music business i mean you don't need to be close to where the music business is anymore you can kind of you can kind of fly in on a WestJet or on a, or sorry on a on like you know a cheap flight and and be at work you know and that's, yeah that's where we're at now I mean, not now. Well, <laughs> we were. Yeah. Well, kind of. I mean, it, it still was like in Los Angeles, I definitely had more work opportunities. Like there, there was a lot more work available, but I also had a lot more expenses. So I kind of felt like coming up here, I would, I wouldn't have as much work available, but I wouldn't have the pressure to work all the time. And so I'd have more time with the family. Yeah. And, and when I did have good tours, it was great because all that tour money went right to living expenses which were much less than la what and i don't know if my expenses here are less but my expenses here are going toward an actual like a mortgage like payments as opposed to in los angeles it would all just be rent and we'd yeah. be gone yeah and you know the quality of life is important um and it helps it helps the soul i guess so to speak it it allows you yeah. to and having family support too i mean you're not the first there's a lot of people that i've talked to who are like yeah, I'm from here, but I moved home because that's where family is. Like for me, my folks live 15 minutes away, so I don't live in Toronto. I haven't lived there in years, but it is something people do when they want to be close to their family or close to help. 
you know yeah yeah and and uh and my uh my wife's parents both have had different health problems and i had i had had her away for 10 years and she's like of of all the siblings she's the one that like kind of calls her mom every day more or less and so you know 10 years is a long time to take their baby away mm-hmm. especially when i'm gone you know like yeah. if i'm gone for months on the road then um it just made sense to have her uh yeah um be be to have that support not only of her parents but her siblings and everything so yeah we, we haven't seen hardly any of them for a few months now but yeah it's it'll it'll come back hopefully oh for sure and you know and you know like i i've obviously we've known each other for a quite a long time now but i i kind of i appreciate someone who can who has you know uh, there's the other person in that life and i have i have that person too that accepts the fact that that's who you are and that's what you do and there's other things to do than you know you have to work and you have to tour and these are things that people don't make these real decisions in life to where their career goes you know mm-hmm. and and so touring is a it's a hard cold one and and you have to appreciate the people that are waiting for you at home you know yeah yeah it's a it's a, a strange thing it's like your personal life just gets put on a pause while you go do this road life thing yeah and, um, you know, if, if all goes well, then everybody's still happy and safe when you get home. Yeah. It takes a special someone and a special family unit to, to really embrace that, you know, because, you know, obviously, you know, for instance, if you're like, Hey, Dennis, uh, why don't you go work at a carpet factory and, uh, it's going to be close to home and that's going to be your new career. You wouldn't be happy. This wouldn't be, you know what I mean? You'd be miserable. Yeah. Or maybe, I don't know. I, I'm projecting. I probably, I would be, but, um, but <laughs> it would be. Tough, a tough ask for someone like you and to say, "All right, well, that's it. You're not doing that anymore, right? You know, we got that out of your system. You, you did. You worked with Prince. You worked with Jimmy World. That's all you need." <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I um, I, I often use the the um example of the film The Wrestler. I don't know if have you seen yeah, that one? Yeah, yeah, Mickey Rourke. Yeah, um, to try to help people understand the concept of like once you've been out on the road doing something that you love so much, especially like singing with the band, and like once you've had an audience that's singing along with your songs, even if it's only twenty people, yeah, that's such a great feeling that it's really hard to let go of that idea, that dream. And, um, or even as a sound engineer, once you've done it, 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 there's just so much, um, there's so much positive reinforcement when you have a, it, a good time. It's kind of like gambling where you might have a whole bunch of bad times after that, but you never forget the feeling of the, yeah. you know, that one great show. And so there's people like us, um, like the, like the wrestler and like me that, that, um, have possibly made some poor life choices or, or choices that are hard to understand that hurt us in some ways and sacrifice a lot kind of chasing that feeling of like going back to those success moments and, and, um, and it's hard to let go, but it's also hard to quantify, you know, in the, for people who haven't seen it, the, uh, the wrestler guy basically tries to, um, earn a living working, making sandwiches in a, in a deli, like, a and, and there's just no way he can do it. And, and, um, even though he's risking his life because of medical conditions, he basically goes back and wrestles because that's what he loves. Yeah. And, um, and it's a brutal decision. Like he's, he's, you know, more or less committing a suicide. Yeah. And, um, and that's kind of, at least for punk rock, it's kind of financial suicide. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was there. Uh, <laughs> um, 
but also, I mean, touring with real bands, like, like I'm not saying real bands, like a Jimmy Eat World, to be able to work and tour with a band like that, it kind of changes your per- your perception of what of what reality is supposed to be and what good intentions are or what a good tour is because you know you tour in a van with a band that's just been signed to a major le- record label or whatever you, mm-hmm. you deal with a lot of crap you know you deal with a lot of bullshit and a lot of people and it's a, it's a very small crew but when it's like a train it's getting ready to leave and someone says hey would you want to go and tour with this group that's got stuff going for them the answer is always going to be yes but not everybody gets offered that type of uh that type of work you know, it's like you got to kind of do it, be there, always be ready to do it, and also just be a good hang at the same time. You know, like that's, I feel 50% of getting a gig like that is just don't be a dick. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I wrote a song to remind myself <laughs> called Don't Be a Dick. <laughs> um, just, you know, in case you're, in case I'm ever thinking about it. And, and that's exactly true. Um, you know, I've had uh, some, those gigs are few and far between the really great ones. And, um, you know, some people, I don't want to say it's luck because it's more than luck. Some people earn their way into it, but there is some uh, factor of luck in the sense of, you know, do you find people who are touring a lot? Do you get, do do you get in on a network of people who, um, have a lot of friends who also are in touring bands? Um, there, there, some people get a, a gig with the band and, and, you don't won't meet anybody and you might do a great job for them. But when their tour cycle is over, you're sitting unemployed for a long time, hoping for work. And that's where all the, like you said, being uh, fun to hang out with, not only with them, but also, you know, at at festivals, meeting other people and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's, it's so hard because, uh, you know, you don't want to be that guy that's like annoying and in people's faces and, I've had people go like, yeah, that guy's after your job. Did you hear? He just, he's trying to convince the band to hire him as a sound engineer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've been and, there. I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> and it, but, but the reality is if you don't do anything, yeah. there's a good chance that you won't get any calls. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're sitting home and what seems like a, a nice short vacation between gigs suddenly could turn into a long period of unemployment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm with you and, I kind of, my whole career changed after a while where I just started just working from home, uh, doing stuff. But to me, for me to like, it's, I, I always admire people like yourself that sort of, it's one of those things like you have to appreciate, like I've done a few nice tours as a sound guy, like a few, but not a few and far between, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, like the, the past year or the year ago was the first time I got to bring my console, like put it on a plane and fly it to a place. And then wow. use my console. Even it's an M32R. It's small, but I get to fly with something that I'm comfortable with. And you know, I I I, I do it. And I go, why didn't I do this? Like, why didn't I ever do? Why have I always just sort of shown up to a club and kick? You know, start from, <laughs> start from scratch every time. You know, yeah. and, and there's there's a there's a sense of like, okay. And you know, for me for touring, I do it now. It's sort of like a. A tour would be for me four days. That's a tour for me. Like I couldn't do, I couldn't do a month. Um, first of all, I would lose my job, and I don't want to lose my job. Um, and and the fact is, is I don't know if I really want to do that anymore. I mean, do you ever feel stuff like that, or is this always something that's like, you know what, that's what I do is my life. I, if I get long tours, I I really appreciate it because of the, um, well. 
a lot because of the financial stability. Even sure. if the tour is tough, even if it's rough, I just appreciate having money come in. Like basically I wouldn't go on a tour that long unless it paid pretty well. Yeah. And, and when I say it pays well, it's like they have to make it pay well enough to make it worth you being away from home. Yeah. Like, th and there are a lot of no paying gigs or very low paying gigs, but, um, but not, you know, at the, at the point where I'm at with the family and everything, it's like, you know, if I could stay home and work and make the same amount of money, then that makes more sense. So I pretty much only get the bigger tour. So if I get a bigger tour and I'm making good money, um, I mean, not that many artists go at the level where I typically am like kind of in a mid level for whatever reason. Um, the longest I think I've been out, I guess like weird Al, we did, uh, it was about a hundred show, 93 shows. So it would have been like three and a half months or so, four months. Um, that's about the longest, but I know there's rock bands who go out more or less like a whole year. Mm. I mean, with Jimmy Eat World, their their tour cycle would be a year and a half long, but they had pretty substantial breaks in between most tours. It, yeah, we were never out on the road for three months. Yeah, they were all family people too, right? So they're not they're they're picking and choosing what they're doing, as well as you know, which makes it perfect sense for you and them to sort of be in line with each other. Is that your lives have families as well as the music? And there's a nice gentle balance, I, I feel. Yeah, and I, and I think that as a band and as kind of like guys who do it all over the world and, and like are going to do it for a year and a half, they're pacing themselves in a way that's sustainable. Yeah. Like, like, you know, they're, they're saying, hey, let's do this chunk that's six weeks, this chunk that's six weeks, this chunk. So every time you do a different tour, I mean, for them, it might be on different continents. So it's yeah. not as critical that it be the same. But but let's using Weird Al as an example. If if you go on on tour for three and a half months, that means there's only one round trip ticket to pay for all your crew. Like yeah. so so in three and a half months, the overhead's much lower because you're not paying for a whole bunch of days off where people are like traveling. You know, like 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 the band basically pays us for a day off. So if you go on five separate tours, that's ten separate days of traveling, most likely yeah. that you didn't do work that you just traveled. Yeah. So that adds up like for, for an artist who's just, who's only going to do that, you know, like, like Al will typically do one big U S tour. So in, in that tour, he's only got, you know, a certain amount of tickets to pay and a certain amount of hotel rooms and whatnot. Yeah. And, and so, you know, cha-ching, you cash in on what you can do with the lowest possible overhead. And, and, um, and, and I appreciate it because then he can pay me more, you know, it's like, <laughs> Yeah, by by being you know by being uh, busy. frugal. Yeah, 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 and being yeah, absolutely. I'm in. Uh, you know, the longest tour I ever did, I think, was eighteen eighteen months <laughs> with uh, some, oh, wow. some forty one with three weeks off. So yeah. wow, well, that's hardcore. It was it was on their first tour. Like it was their first tour. Like it's like let's just do an infinity sign around North America. You could do that, right? They're great too. Yeah. I, I, well, just while we're saying that, like I've run into them a few times with. Uh, with Jimmy at world. And you know, they're, they're not a typical punk band. I see people on the punk pages kind of complaining about them or whatever, but yeah. like, like they're, they're like a real, like uh, I don't know how to say they're, they're a high production band. Like they're definitely playing to a click. They're definitely yeah. playing like they, but they rock it. I mean, they really put on a great show and, yeah. and a lot of energy and very consistent. And they're good people uh, too. I mean, you can't yeah. mistake the fact when guys like Fletcher, who's sometimes hard to get along with loves them. Carrie King from Slayer, like all these sort of non um, people that you would think would hate them, love them. And, you know, and I, I toured mm -hmm. with them for so many years and 
they were kids, you know, they're 18 year old kids. And I learned to love them. You know what I mean? They were just like my brothers, you know, and I nice. took I took Mark Belkey. Well, put in a good word for me. I will. <laughs> yeah. If you can. Well, we'll do what they do. We'll do with their sound guy. Like this is guy Dennis. He's uh he's. A <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right in front of the other guy. Yeah, though, yeah, that guy. guy. So yeah. good. You really should have. You know, like if you want your shows to sound good, yeah. Yeah. you should hire this guy. <laughs> well, I did. It was so funny. I saw them years and years ago, and he was so so loud that I had to say, guys, I know I'm whatever at the time. I'm forty. That's too loud. <laughs> It was just too loud for me, and I'm sorry, but yeah. you know, I, I'm not sliding. It probably sounded amazing, but I could not. It hurt. It hurt, and it was like, well, God damn it! But no, but I like loud, but I like it to yeah. to end loud. Yeah, yeah, I don't like a whole show to get loud. I I like it that to your, to your ears it sounds full and powerful, and then as the show goes on, basically I'm usually creeping it up. Yeah, but I'm also taking away those frequencies that hurt your ears, like the ice pick in the ear. Yeah, you know, mid highs, and um. So by the end of the show, just to punish the people who really want it loud, to make sure that they don't say that I'm not loud enough, I crank it. Yeah. But they're not ex- they're not suffering through like 90 minutes of Ugh. that level. Yeah. And and I I find by doing that that it creates this kind of excitement that keeps going. It's not just like boom, wow, this is a rock show, and then 90 minutes of no dynamics. Yeah. It's like yeah, it it kind of builds, and then by the end, there's just this pummeling feeling that. Like it should sound that loud by then, but it yeah. shouldn't sound that loud in the first half. Yeah. Like you, not loud enough to oh, so yeah. loud that you want to get out of the room. Do you know who appreciates that philosophy of yours is the the house sound guys? <laughs> yeah. They too. They really appreciate it because you're like, you know, I'm with you. Like I'm with you. I, if it's a, it needs to be a loud song to be loud. Like I had actually a funny conversation with Bill Stevenson. I did like two shows for the descendants and Lamb of God played like right after us. And Bill's, Bill's like, you hear that? You hear how loud they are? I'm like, well, yeah. Does it sound good though? Like, what, what, what are we talking about here? Like, I want it to sound good before it sounds loud. I'm sorry. Like, I, I have to, mm-hmm. I have to draw a line there. If it sounds great, you shouldn't worry about how loud it is. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's, it, there's very, there's obviously with recording, there's the loudness wars, but I think also now that PA's are just so tuned and so capable that you don't need to blow the you don't need to hit any red lights anywhere at all it's not you know you agree i well i i don't judge it based on the lights i only judge it based on the feel yeah yeah like to me the kick drum needs to rattle your chest a little bit so even when it's even when it's not loud like hurting my ears loud the low end is solid powerful and punchy enough to where you feel it it feels visceral mm-hmm. and 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 if the show starts and you hear everything clearly and the and the kick is rattling your chest that's cool yeah and then if all of a sudden they step up and like crank it up a notch and hit this bridge it just gets louder or a chorus it's just like oh my god and it jumps up a few db that's cool and mm-hmm. but then if you could pull it back a little bit too mm-hmm. and and um i i i don't know that's just my opinion but i think that i think that there's room for kind of excitement between verses and choruses and and I'm, I don't, I'm not afraid to play with the overall volume to make it like, here's a real soft, gentle part and you got to really listen closely and the crowd should kind of quiet down and listen. And then if they have a pummeling part right after that, it's, that's one of the cool things about a PA is we have that dynamic range to go from a whisper to a scream yeah. and, and you feel it, your whole body feels the sound of, you feel the toms hitting you and stuff. So 
I guess I'm I'm waxing a little poetic about this because it's been so long since I mixed a show. Yeah. I miss it so much. Well, it's all about broadcasting to FM radios now up here. We're doing the drive-in thing where uh and it's actually pretty fun to play with the, the type of FM compression that is that exists when you're doing uh-huh. like a broadcast. You can really uh you have to watch your levels, but you can make things sound awesome and have like because we've been doing shows without PA systems. And just running it through an FM transmitter. And so it's just on the car stereos? And it sounds phenomenal. Good. I mean, everybody's, you oh. know, car stereos, are, don't they don't suck. You know what I mean? Like, they sound pretty yeah, good, yeah. you know? They've gotten a lot better in the last 30 years, for yeah. sure. And you know what? Zero delay between the stage. Even though the people are, like, this small, in, in, like, really small, when the guy mm-hmm. hits that cymbal and the cymbal moves, it's, it's exactly, it's off by, like, a quarter of a millisecond. <laughs> so, so you it, mean there's there's less latency than real absolutely. air? Yeah. Like so, it's beating the air? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it comes through the FM faster. So when you're at the very back of the parking lot and you hear things, you know, you get out your car and you can have a conversation. It's there's a, there's a, there's some sort of a civilized feeling to the whole thing, you know, and it's a hmm. compromise. Like this has been a big common topic on the show is how much everything is being compromised for art and for talent and, and for for creating art. Is it how sure. people are finding ways to entertain people but also it's at a compromise you know do you feel do you feel that type of thing going on i i can't even say because i haven't been um i haven't been working like that yeah like i uh i mean i'm in boise idaho there's a few things going on but there's all there's all the guys who normally do all the shows here that live here and um so i I mean, I have a few customers that I kind of help out here and there, but I mostly focus on the road. Mm-hmm. And um, so when the pandemic hit, uh, I pretty much hunkered down in my house and worked on my acoustic record and made the first record that I had ever made. Like I've never, um, S- Simmer Down is a 10 foot pole, has a new record coming out called Simmer Down. Nice segue. It, uh, Great segue. <laughs> <laughs> it's our full, uh, it's, it's full acoustic or what i mean by that is it's driven by acoustic guitars there's not like distorted electric guitars Mm -hmm. but the whole album is that way it's about half old songs that not necessarily old but previously released songs that have been reimagined with acoustic guitar and then the other half is roughly half is brand new um song ideas and um i i didn't start out thinking that i would be the producer i mean i I thought maybe I'd be the producer, but I didn't for sure didn't think I'd be the mixer. Mm-hmm. I, I figured I'd delegate it and, you know, send it off and somebody would do, you know, people who do it all the time are just going to be way faster, way more efficient at certain things. But um, once the pandemic really started sinking in here, it was like, I'm going to be home a lot. Why, you know, why pay someone to do this stuff that I probably ought to learn how to do? <laughs> so I, I went into like the mode of like, I need to learn how to edit you know bass tracks and like oh like not that i didn't do that stuff before to make demos but to do it at like album quality is just a much higher level of scrutiny and time and yeah um and so i committed to doing things i committed to trying to do the mix with the backup plan that i could always send it out and that and that i did originally plan to send it out to a few people um but i i got the mix to a place where the people that I was sending it to are like, you know, this sounds really good. You, you ought to just do it because yeah. you know what you want. And, and, um, and so I did, you know, I did, there was a lot of trial and error and um, goofing around with trying different things. But it, in the end, I got a record that sounds 
how I want it to sound. And, and, uh, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, it's good to learn something, obviously, because you, you know, it is, you're obviously, you're, of course, studio is different than live. And to be able to sort of, you have your mind's eye of what you want it to be and how you're going to achieve that. And you have the grace and the time to take that type of chance to try to figure out and you can completely deconstruct the whole thing and start from scratch. And that, I, you know, I, I appreciate, I love doing that stuff, you know, and that's why it's taken me uh, uh, eight years to write. 10 songs i have five <laughs> <laughs> but that but i i worked for uh prince in 2006 2007 and one of the things he said to me when i first started working is he said do you make records and i said no i i focus on live co concerts because i'm um i decided to specialize in this and i'm really good at doing things quick in the moment and handling a live concert and he goes yeah but you should you should make records <laughs> i'm like i'm like but Anyway, I didn't want to argue with him. Yeah, he's Prince. <laughs> one time I did argue with him and he goes, is this a debate? <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, could, I, I uh, was real excited after a show and he he asked me a question about something and I kind of was explaining why I did what I did. And and it turned me and he goes, is this a debate? <laughs> and I was like, uh, no, sorry, sir. I, I, I just was excited because the show was so great. Sorry, you know, Mr. Prince. Of... <laughs> <laughs> my friend. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I finally, uh, I was kind of joking, like I finally found an artist willing to let me do that <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah and, um, and had the time yeah you know because because if i was a real pro in a studio with a with a like certain day rate i'm charging somebody and i need to have stuff done right away yeah i, I don't have that level of experience to be able to crank out a, a known quality product in that timeline with confidence mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't even try i wouldn't even expect to be able to but knowing that i had time i i just Every single day, woke up and was like, "Well, what am I going to do today?" And then, like twelve hours later, be like, yeah. "Okay, I'm going to sleep on this." Yeah, <laughs> and learn for one day and learning something new that's completely sort of different to what you do. Like you create music, and for the you demo it. But you're mm -hmm. right. There's a whole other um, when you start thinking like you kind of start screwing your own brain. Going, people are going to listen to this. This is not just sitting in these speakers in my house. It's it's actually going out to people who you know. So that's where I get kind of a little bit, because um, I mix my own stuff and I record my own stuff, but based on just, just for, because I got it, not because I'm really necessarily good at it, but it means that what I'm doing, I start thinking like, well, wait a minute, you have to forget the fact that this is going in, onto a, like um, into somebody's Spotify ears or in, onto a CD or into vinyl, whatever. You kind of have to forget because <laughs> because then you start thinking, what, what do other people want to hear? And that's where things start going in a big old circular, you know, that's why, that's why I have, you know, eight years later and I have five songs, you know, because yeah, it's it, tricky. It is. It gets very tricky and it's a convenience, but, a, but also a bit of a, it can be a bit of a curse at the same time to, uh, to have all the gear, which I do to sit down here and go, okay, I'm going to focus some time, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I got the podcast. Yeah. I don't need to write songs anymore. I have a sarcasm decoder. I got the song here on uh, on a computer and uh i'm gonna play it if you're okay nice. yeah okay here it comes you yeah no i just didn't know or were you gonna play the whole song or are we real time i'm gonna just be quiet for no no uh, i'll play the song and we can talk we, yeah we can talk that's that's the best part
Can someone help me with a brand new app? I'm lost in conversations. I can't tell exactly what people mean by the words they say. I can't judge the tone. I just can't relate. Your soothing voice can prop me back up. Then We're live. <laughs> We're talking about QLab. I actually had the guy who 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 uh, started QLab on this podcast. His name's oh, wow. Chris Ashworth from Figure Fifty Three, and I. It was one of those weird moments. Like, hey, do you want to be on a podcast? And no one's really listened to in America. That has anything to do with theater? He goes, "Yep, I'll do that." So that was like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Also, you, yeah. ever, you ever heard of the yeah. Raspberry Pi? No. There's these little tiny computers. That it's designed in England. Same thing. I the, I uh, I've, I asked the guy who invented it, like, "Hey, you want to be on the show?" And he, he said yes. It's the weirdest thing how when people like randomly just say yes, they'll do stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. It's a, uh, I mean, in our business, it's such a tricky thing to do 
like the, the most of the time when I use QLab under duress was um, I'm, I'm at a corporate event, like it's a party or something and people are throwing me tracks saying what they want to be their walk-up song. Like, like say it's a, a award show or something. Yeah. And so it's like very last minute and they're telling me something and I'm looking for it and trying to grab it and trying to find the, the right in and out spot, like, you know, right before this event and, and being able to drag it and, and play it. And there's a lot of pressure on AV people because, yeah. um, you know, if, if it doesn't sound right, then, um, it's all your fault. People get, uh, yeah, people yeah. get upset and they, they often don't like plan ahead and give you enough time to where you could have like real rehearsals and things like you <laughs> would, if it was a television event or something like oh, that, yeah. where, where oh. planning was done. So, uh, so it's a lot of, of pressure, but yeah, I don't know about yeah. down there, but corporate in like the late nineties, it was like the mm -hmm. closest thing to like it was awesome. Like there was full PA companies and RV, uh, AV companies that dealt with like when Costco came to our theater, it was a full team of people. And then like we had Costco at our theater four years ago and it was, it was the crew had to take care of everything. And this mm -hmm. is like a regional, like guy, Mr. Costco showing up. Like it's just the whole bottom fell out of it. And that was like four years ago. It's crazy. Yeah, the, 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 I mean, the, there's audio for a lot of different, you know, when there are events, there was audio for a lot of different events. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and, and of course, the people who have money to pay for the best stuff, you know, often want good stuff and, and have the, the time and interest to make it great. Uh, I, I did a lot of uh, auto show work too. Yeah. And, th and that's was pretty exciting. And, and, um, you know, we, a lot of times they'd set up giant PAs and uh, just for like a, a one hour meeting or something and a car comes roaring up on stage and there's a <laughs> microphone inside it. And, yeah. you know, you're, it's kind of funny. It's like, like on the thing, they'll be like, and this is the quietest car ever, but we're like putting a mic on and revving it, like <laughs> making it sound like it's just like a hot rod because they're like, well, I know the thing's saying that it's quiet, but we want people to get excited. So turn it up, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we did, but yeah, that sort of thing, especially video walls and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, pretty big. We did a thing for uh, Bell. Bell Canada had they were starting a new like a walkie-talkie service where the phones. Mm -hmm. This was like 15 years ago, where you could actually do walkie-talkies with your phones, and they couldn't make it mm -hmm. work. So I said, "Well, I got a paging mic, which is basically uh, a, a like a handle for like a CB, where you can page and it's like." So they yeah. actually faked the whole um, walkie-talkie demo uh -huh. by this guy off stage talking on script like to to boast how good it works but it didn't work <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and then the funny thing was is that showbiz yeah when they when they were here when they were there trying to get good bandwidth because they were doing it in different venues all over canada they were using cable so they're using rogers cable to promote their bell um event which <laughs> there's no big satellite dishes in the sky, you know, at the back of the venue. But yeah, it's, it's definitely like, I don't miss it. I don't miss it. Like, I don't know, but I mean, everybody, anybody now dealing I with miss the employment. <laughs> yeah. Everybody now is like, I'll take a hundred dance competitions. Uh, you can feed me shit sandwiches like all day long and, um, and yell at me and be mad and I'll, I'll, I'm happy. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Are you aware of that? There's a, a new movement happening. I think it just happened in the States where um, they're, they're lighting things up in red and it's like a call to action for. Uh, yeah. That was two days ago here. Yeah. I think that was September 1st. Yeah. They're doing um, it in Canada on the 22nd. So 
Oh, cool. Yeah. You know, it's a pretty good movement. You know, I, I, I fully support it, you know, but I think we had to get the politics straight on it first. Like, do you guys want to go back to work and be unsafe or do you want to, are you, you know what I mean? Like what's, you know, what's the direction here? So, yeah. Yeah. It's tricky here because uh, American politics are so divide, divided and divisive right now. Mm. It's like, they're like, okay, we're going to say this thing, but we don't want to get political. It's like, well, you have to get yeah. political because you have to decide which politicians are going to give money to the industry. Yeah. And, and, you know, however you can say it, that makes them say yes. And, and at the end of the day, like there's, there's a very fine line between what they're going to agree to and what they're not. And, and, uh, and the whole industry, I mean, that what we're basically talking about for people who are just <laughs> randomly lurking here is that the entertainment industry has just been decimated because like all of the income or nearly all of the income comes from events where people have to gather. And with the pandemic blocking all gatherings, there's um, all kinds of production companies left and right going bankrupt. There's all kinds of workers who are out of business. And then there's other effects that people don't even think about. But when, a, when there's a tour, there's like trucks and truckers and catering and hotels and flights. And like, there's, there's just this huge spider web of support for a tour that happens that's all not happening now and um without government support for the workers and the and and those different uh businesses uh so much so many uh very skilled people are going to switch to different careers yeah so much equipment is going to be put aside and it and just uh it it not only hurts our quality of life but like a lot of talent will go to other things like I, like i know yeah. a guy who's gonna get a job working on valves for um uh what was it some some kind of like uh for firemen's uh oxygen tanks or something like mm -hmm. that's his gig and he was a really good sound guy yeah. you know there's just a bunch of guys like that that you know might be almost like you would call them artists like yeah. really skilled people who are gonna go look for you know other work and and i, I don't know what will happen to me i don't <laughs> my my current backup plan is playing acoustic guitar in people's backyards yeah so i that's one reason i focused on this is that i don't know what's going to happen with audio or with events um but in case it doesn't come back at least if people like my acoustic songs they could have a house party yeah pay me a few bucks and i go on to the next city and just like literally play in backyards yeah like like even if there can't be big gatherings maybe there can be 25 people hanging out in the backyard and I just drive up and play and yeah. Well, like the, a troubadour. the tricky thing too is with, with, um, with the industry is people are going to be very, very aggressively pricing things to be able to get the gig. And <clears throat> what's going to happen is it's going to lower the bar and the quality, you know, uh, on what the delivery is going to be. So, I mean, guy like you, who's top notch at what you do, it's going to be tough for guys like you because because there's going to be five people who will do that gig for half the price and be half as good but that doesn't matter because yeah. the people want to be yeah. on tour and they want to they want to have a show and the band wants somebody and they're broke you know it's it, it's well, going to be I, a lot I'm not sure yeah. I I I would, don't want to make a big prediction about that because I think I think a lot of people who aren't that good or who are in the mediocre well People of all levels, I think, will leave. I think yeah. we'll see an attrition of, um, and and maybe that'll be good. That yeah. kind of a purge of you know, 
a, a portion of it so that so that there is less uh, uh, supply of quality operators. And then there's always going to be people who want quality. So I, I agree with you. There, there's always people who are willing to do it cheap to go out on tour with a rock band, but most rock bands want to sound good. Yeah. So it's just a question of, of, of finding an artist. Like, like that's why I worked for Prince and why it's such a big deal to not get fired by Prince is that he fired people at the drop of a hat because he wants it to be great. And so if somebody knows that I could hang with him for a year and a half without getting fired, like I have to kind of know what I'm doing, yeah. you know, like that's kind of a, and, and so if there's someone who really wants to sound good, that's the customer I want. I want somebody who appreciates that I'm going to, cause I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to be really anal about things. And I'm a bit of a perfectionist and, and, um, it's important to work for somebody who appreciates that. Otherwise they'll just think that I'm insane, Yeah, you know, like, yeah, you know, like, like like working for Weird Al. I'll just say like like Weird Al knows what he wants and he wants he wants it to be good. Um, and and not that he hasn't you know had lower budget situations before, but now that he knows I can do a good job, I think that he'd rather have me out there than take a chance with somebody else who he doesn't know. Yeah, and because if his show sounds great, then he's going to sell more merch. He's going to sell more future tickets. People are going to be happy. Yeah, like. So the quality does matter, but um, the hard thing is finding a customer who can pay the price you want and also appreciates you, so that you um, that you keep the job and that um, and that you also feel satisfaction as opposed to like feeling like people are mad at you for caring too much about your job. Yeah, because that can happen. You oh know? yeah. No, I'm, I, you know, I've been there too. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> I'm out there testing subwoofers and like, <laughs> no, this one's out of phase. I'm changing the wiring yeah. and stuff. And I've had tour managers who were just looking at me going like, you know, you got, no, just be done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just be done. Jen's got to go right now. It's dinner time. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, it's funny. I'm that guy now with the crew that I work with at my, at the theater I work at. It's like, guys, you gotta, you gotta eat dinner. You can't, you know what I mean? You can't, you know. You got to eat, got to do things that are important. And um, yeah, I, I, my big fear is that though, that the good ones will leave and the crappy ones who are, are like, I'm talking about PA companies and audio visual companies. I just want the good ones to stay, you know, and I don't know how that's going to be possible. And I just hope that they took care of business and had this type of emergency fund, you know, and to be able to get back and get back at it, you know, and not have to sort of, you know, hurt their, their ruin any ethics or ethical standards that they might have already, you know, been trying to keep. Yeah. Especially that, with that safety. That part, I don't know. Especially with safety. I mean, when, you know, yeah. when you have stuff that's been sitting in a warehouse for eight months and nobody's used it or really tested it, there's things to consider, you know, especially with electricity and rigging and stuff like that. But I don't know, man. I, 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 you know, I, I don't want to turn this into a bummer thing, but it's like I really fear for the people that are living hand to mouth and they are dealing with things that are like, you know, I, I think, you know, I listen, I made some changes about 15 years ago to say, well, I'm going to start, I'm going to stay closer to home and I'm going to start dealing with things from home. But I made a decision. I, I would be right there alongside of people who are living hand to mouth, you know, who are living hand to mouth even before this whole thing cropped up, you know? Yeah, I'd yeah. be with them. I mean, it's it's a challenging lifestyle for sure, and there it's like a roller coaster of pay and no pay, and and um, so yeah, we'll just see. We'll we'll try to 
you know, do our best. And if we're lucky, the we'll get some government support to kind of help the people that are really suffering. Because at the end of the day, the billionaires don't want to don't want the system to break. And no. and if if enough people fail, just like in two thousand eight with mortgage uh, things, if enough people don't can't pay their bills, then then the system will break. And then the ones who have the most to lose are the ones who could fix it. Yeah, the one the ones who could help us out. And you know, right now in in America, we got some of those, their favorite people are kind of like, well, we don't want to get too much in debt. And it's kind of like, you weren't worried about debt when you passed that big tax cut last year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah. But if they don't do something, then there can be a huge crash and then their money's not going to be worth anything anyway. So um, we'll see what happens. I, I, I'm just going to try to do the best for, I can for the family and yeah. prepare for the future. But I couldn't, I couldn't just like some guys are just going fully into training mode and I couldn't spend six months during a pandemic training on a console, knowing that I'm likely not going to use it for a year. Cause then I'll forget everything I did anyway. Yeah. And so by building music, like music is something I, it's like a portfolio. You just develop more songs and, and yeah. record them and release them. And it just becomes part of your history. Yeah. It feeds itself, you know, it, it, even if it doesn't make money, it's building something that you can be proud of and that it accumulates over time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, at least, at least there's some people who love 10 foot pole. It's not a big crowd, but it's enough to where I want to keep m making music for those people. And that if I'm lucky, new people will hear it and love it and it'll build to yeah. a point where I can cruise around and play in backyards to 30 people. <laughs> <laughs> I did it in, in Quebec and it worked great. Yeah. I did it uh, a couple of years ago in Quebec. I played a bunch of house parties and uh, front porches. Like, <laughs> yeah. But the owner of our record label, before he was our record label, we played in his backyard at a big, like a warped tour kind of joke uh, party. But it was like 100 people, more than 100 people there. I don't even know how many. But then on a different day, he hired me to play at his mom's house in kind of a, a backwoods place, like an hour out from the city. And all the neighbors were there. Everyone was out in the street. And I was on their front porch, like singing and playing guitar with speakers on a stand. And it was great. Like the people were so appreciative yeah. and had a good time. And there were, there were kids there. It was like, you know, like real family stuff. And I, I'm okay with that. Like it, it, as long as I'm not starving to do it and I'm sending some money home, I, I don't need to be, um, you know, a pop star with millions and millions of followers. I'm okay to just yeah. play in backyards to 30 people. You should actually team up with my friend, Rob Moyer, who rides bikes. He did a bike tour in Europe where he rode bicycles all over Europe and played people's in <laughs> people's living rooms. Same thing. Wow. And he's been wow. doing it for three and four years. And uh, yeah, it'd be fun to see you guys play together. He's a good dude. I've known him for a long, long time. But I, I, I will hook you two up because... It'd be, sure. a, it'd be fun to see anyways. He's, he's from Toronto. He just did a three week bike tour all over Ontario and he's logging about it. And so, I mean, he's doing anything, everybody's doing anything they can to sort of keep the wheels turning, you know? And, uh, well, yeah, I have to admit, I, I bought a van. So part of me wanting to do this is to <laughs> rationalize that quote investment. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. to my family and to myself is like, I bought this van and I built like uh, beds in it and yeah, stuff yeah. so I could lay down. Cause I have a, old man's back like yeah. i want to be able to just lay down and take a break yeah and it's like i'm making all these payments and i'm like someday yeah. this is gonna pay for itself <laughs> like i'm gonna cruise this around and just you know if i could just do like a three-hour drive and show up and play in somebody's backyard and yeah you know um that 
so uh, like the idea of being on a bicycle yeah just doesn't really people feel sorry for you me <laughs> they might feel sorry for you they'll be like oh well, poor yeah, dennis sure. okay. but i also want to have a little pa with me yeah oh so shit that'll be hard. there there goes a van <laughs> yeah that'll I be got, tricky. i need the van yeah 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 well that's good i hope you uh yeah man i hope you can i hope your country lets you leave it eventually <laughs> uh, oh they'll let me leave but will your country let me in <laughs> oh that's a good question well you start swimming you swim over from detroit we'll, we'll come pick you up in a boat and uh, we'll bring you across. You got to bring the van. Oh, yeah. <laughs> bring the van. Oh, deal breaker. <laughs> that'll be tricky. That'll be tricky. But maybe uh, I'll even play in the back of the van, like open the doors out and have like speakers on the doors. Yeah, you know, yeah, kind yeah. Of, like, pop the up warp show. Tour stage where yeah, yeah. it just pops up. And Oh, yeah. Like the, um, one of those warp tours, like the school bus stage that almost cut your fingers off when you're trying to set it up. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah, good times. But yeah, for people who are watching, if you check out 10footpole.com, that's got like all our news and skateboard decks and things. And, and, um, and, uh, theoretically, like, uh, well, cause you're, are, are a lot of your listeners in Canada? Yeah. This might happen in April in Canada, basically. Yeah. Like, like 10 foot poles planning a tour in Europe in, I think, July, August timeframe, mm -hmm. but we need to rehearse and, our drummer's in Quebec City, and our guitarist is in love with a woman in Quebec. So, the place we really should rehearse is Quebec. <laughs> so, I'm thinking I drive the van up into Canada in April and play all across Canada in backyards. Then we rehearse in Quebec, play some shows in Quebec, then go to Europe. That's so a great idea. Our, that's our tentative plan right now. I I wouldn't normally mention that, except that uh, since since we're actually talking to Canadians, it's probably maybe gonna there's be people there that would want to host a party. Oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. And when you get that off the ground, let me know and I'll, 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 uh, I'll pump the sort of how you're going to book it and things like that. And you know, how you're going to monetize it and whatever, but definitely yeah. it's, it's good to, yeah, it definitely, it's good. I mean, it's good to see you're still touring. I mean, we obviously, we didn't really talk about, we talked about it like a couple of years ago, you were on the show, how we, my band and your band toured all over Europe in one tour. And, uh, how yeah, that? well, you were the rescue band. You came yeah. in and rescued when uh, uh, Trigger Happy dropped off, and yeah. uh, um, you guys came in, and it was uh, it was really lucky for us to have you know some support there. And yeah, um, I, don't, I don't even know what year that was. Two thousand three or so. Four, two thousand four. Okay. God, it feels like such like not that long ago, but it really is fifteen years ago almost. Yeah, or sixteen. Yeah. Sixteen. Yeah. yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Where where did that time go? But. Yeah, I, uh, I I do. I look back on those tours and those days, and I go, "Wow, that was probably the most intense thing that I've done in a, in an artistic form," you know. And yeah. uh, you know, and I saw I saw how you guys worked, and I saw how you know, and it really, it was good being in a close, confined situation because what we realized is that, yeah, maybe this isn't really <laughs> the thing we should be doing. You know, we had two two bands on a bus, and we, we I thought we had a great crew. We had oh yeah. Um, Cindy on on merch and she's a, a great tattoo artist. Cindy out Best, in, uh, yeah, Cindy and Nunya and uh, yeah, Cindy Frey uh, uh, in Belgium doing tattoos. Yeah, and uh, Nunya and tour managing and you guys in the like. I thought we had a cool team and yeah. uh, so it, it was a tough time for punk rock. We didn't have any support from our record label because we had just uh, essentially gotten a fight with Victory Records. Yeah. After I had already paid for recording <laughs> subliminable messages. Yeah. And we jumped over to uh what was that called? Uh Snap not Snap, uh what was our record label called with the kit? Go kart. Go kart, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. we jumped over to Go Kart and he basically 
got the record out in Europe while we were on tour, but we didn't have like, you know, we didn't have marketing or any of that kind yeah. of stuff. Neither so, do we. So that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so that tour, that whole situation wasn't, um, wasn't the best for, from a business standpoint. Well, yeah. It was a tricky one too, because yeah. it was, it was how like the industry, the record industry was basically falling apart anyways. And, you mm -hmm. know, and going out and playing was the only thing that people could do, but it was just sort of like, you know, like the bad religions could go out and still do stuff with Napster nipping at their heels. Yeah. But, but, but bands like ours, we didn't really get off the ground because same thing, like there was no money. There was nothing, you know, we had yeah, and and nineties punk had kind of run its course. Like, yeah. like it had been big for a while. And so it was really just kind of the stalwarts were still there and, and our album didn't have any support. And so not long after that, we, we shut down for a while. Well, 2006 was when I started working for Prince yeah. and, uh, I had one tour in Japan that was set up when I took that gig and, um, and, uh, and I told him, I told the staff that I had that gig and, uh, still at the last minute, they asked me to not go to Japan. It's yeah. <laughs> like, really? yeah, I kind of made a commitment there. And, and, um, luckily I still had a job when I got back, but it, it could have gone the other way where 10 foot pole lost me the Prince gig. Yeah. So, so after that, I just didn't book any more 10 foot pole yeah. until a couple years later when I wasn't working with Prince anymore and I had mm. a little more leeway with the schedule. That's a pretty ballsy move, man. Because if someone said to me, you're going to, you know, my band, obviously we had more, we was like, not as much like if someone said, go to Japan. I don't know, man. It's or go work for the largest artist in on earth um, next to Michael Jackson. I think I probably have to tell the guys like, Hey man, cause I actually, you know, it's funny you say that <laughs> I, I did it was for some 41. I put the band on hold so I could go on tour with some 41 for two years, you know? So they sat but around I, but and it waited. Wasn't a choice. Yeah. It, it wasn't a choice where I had like, do you want to go to Japan or do you want to play with Prince? It was more like I committed to going to Japan and then he came in at the last minute yeah. and planned a show that, that conflicted with it. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I could have bailed out, but I, I just thought I, I just thought that wouldn't be right for the commitment that I made. Yeah, and and that's you know I I think that that's the right thing to do. Although I know that in some business situations, um, sometimes <laughs> sometimes it might sometimes it's challenging. Yeah. Luckily for me, he um, he brought in a, an old sound guy that he had toured with a lot. And he didn't re really fall in love with him. He kind of more remembered why he didn't want to work with him. Yeah. I guess. And, um, yeah. and so I got the gig back, Yeah. but it could have easily just, just as easily gone the other way where he was like, yeah, why am I bringing Denny in when I've got this other guy who's already done, you know, hundreds of shows yeah. with me. Yeah. Um, yeah. but luckily for me, I, I, I came right back in and, and in fact, I think he even appreciated me more and maybe even respected that I said no. Yeah. You, know, that I you don't like, know. Right. Yeah. It's like, true. I, I had a commitment and I, I kept the commitment. Cause when I first started, I was like, I'm completely open except for March. Da, da, da. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. got to go to Japan. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe it was a test and that was, maybe I passed the test. I don't even know. <laughs> there There's wasn't so even a things. show. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. funny. You mentioned Michael Jackson. Cause, uh, at, when I was, when I quit working for Prince, um, after I, there was a chance where I was brought back in. That's a long story, but at the end of the day, um, he ended up playing in, in London at the venue where Michael Jackson's big yeah. giant, um, 
event was planned the o2 and yeah yeah the o2 and yeah. uh and and the person who took my place ended up getting the michael jackson gig and i i sometimes wonder if i hadn't played my cards differently whether <laughs> i might not have gotten hired kind of alongside him as like you know a tag team kind of situation because um basically i got called back into work for prince and he was happy with me and i was happy because i wasn't mixing monitors I quit because I didn't want to do monitors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was doing monitors from front of house and it was yeah. just too gnarly. So I basically quit saying, you know, I, I just, I don't want to wreck your shows. It's too much. It's too much to do in one day, like to set up the monitors and the front of house and, and try to provide that service. And, um, anyway, long, long story short is I wondered if I played my cards differently. Like I drew some lines in the sand and, and, uh, and they had already hired this other guy to do London, but they had asked me to go. And I was kind of like, basically they asked me to go, but then they didn't tell me till the end that it was like to train the other guy. <laughs> oh shit! But I kind of wonder if I went there and did a good job, whether I would have just not stayed on the board. Yeah. You know, like I, I don't know, but it, at that point I just felt like, no, you hired me back. Like I had already quit yeah. and they called me and I was like, well, you hired me back. We had great shows if I'm going to London, you know, and I basically set an ultimatum up, but I always, I always wonder whether if I hadn't played that differently, it might not have been both of us on the Michael Jackson gig. Yeah. So, and then Michael passed away and, uh, all the crew got paid for like a year of work. No way. Yeah. Cause wow. there was insurance, this insurance policy paid off. And, um, so yeah, we're talking like like more money than I've made in several years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was kind of like thinking, wow, I wonder if I was on that crew, like what, <laughs> you know, you get paid for several years and and then you're free to work too. Yeah. That's true. That's true. And you're not, there's no conflicts. You're not going to, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, man, you've, uh, you're living in a, you're living a pretty awesome life, man. I, uh, it's good to, good to catch up with you. It's good to see that you're, uh, in good spirits and, uh, you know, the record's out in October, right? October something. October 9th, 9th there's yeah. another uh, the the next single I can't remember when it comes out but in a couple weeks and uh the next one's going to be a, a re um a, 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 an acoustic version of a song that was already released mm -hmm. so so the one you just heard was a brand new song yeah. that I wrote just a brand new song and then the next one is to show kind of like well what does an old song sound like when you redid it acoustic right. and then um and then I think there will be one more song maybe beats the album by a day or so but uh but yeah in a month like october 9th i think is the release date yeah yeah and uh so far everyone's been really positive about it so i'm i'm uh excited yeah, yeah. it's gonna be backyard parties i think yeah <laughs> wow if i don't screw it up if you don't yeah and also uh you gotta yeah you gotta watch what they feed you though because they might try to get you kentucky fried chicken and bad food you just gotta really lay that menu thing down you know and say you know <laughs> We're having a barbecue. Oh, a barbecue. Really? In the backyard? Interesting. Oh, wow. What do you got? Oh, fr uh, bratwurst? Oh. <laughs> yeah, every single day. They're like, we got hot dogs. Hamburgers. This is going to be the greatest day ever for you. <laughs> <laughs> like every single day. But you know what? Then, uh, you know, I'm just happy with the idea of getting out and yeah. getting out and about. And I, I can take care of myself. I'm a big boy. Yeah. I've lived in tour buses before. So, yeah, it's uh, I, I know how to find some food that that I can survive on. But the main thing is just finding people who enjoy the songs. Cause yeah. if I'm singing to people who like it, that to me is just glorious. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, even if it's just 20 people, 
if, if somebody's willing to pay me to put on a party in their backyard or front yard and, um, it could be, it could be nice. Yeah, man. No, it's good. Or maybe we'll have a hit song and it'll be like in a stadium and who, yeah, yeah. Called the backyard tour. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks, man. I I won't be mad if it gets bigger, but I also, I want to prepare to try to make it sustainable even at a, like a really low underground level. Yeah. Because I think that would still be fun. I think it'd be awesome mm-hmm. to just, you know, if, if I can find people willing to host it and not have to drive too far and just have these. I also talk a lot. Of, you might not, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, might yeah. have noticed. Yeah. But like, like this is also how I do a show. Like with the acoustic act, I yeah. basically try to mix it like a Henry Rollins meets Johnny Cash vibe. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I'll play some songs and I'll say, anyone have any questions or or, or, or just something will come to mind. Like I wrote this song when I was da 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 da, and, and then all of a sudden that'll trigger a whole segue into a different, um, yeah, storytelling. And um, I love it. And and so people kind of come to know that, and they um, and they come to you know harass me and listen to songs and hear hear a monologue. Yeah. I don't wrap it up nicely. Like Henry Rollins tries to have like some kind of a theme or yeah. something. I don't, Mine's just <laughs> random thoughts, like yeah. stories about being a sound engineer or, or, uh, or a lot of other things, like from my past, like being a wrestler or being a, yeah, yeah. um, yeah. you know, boy scout or, you know, more, I was a Mormon kid, yeah. straight edge kid, more or less. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, definitely. I mean, people want to hear it. I mean, it's, 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 it's intimate. And the fact is it's tough to do storytelling shows. You've got four other guys like sitting there looking at tuning their instruments while you're telling the story. I've, I've worked for bands like that. That's not a, it's not healthy. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. The, the acoustic thing is, is more decadent and more. Um, and, and also I, you know, usually I don't have a drummer bossing me around with like how fast it has to yeah. go. So I, can, <laughs> I, I stop right in the middle of the song and go, you know, that brings up a good point. <laughs> and, and yeah. I do, you know, like yeah. I, I love it. I ham it up and yeah. you know, I, I like telling it, uh, in advance now so that someone's thinking about having a backyard party they they kind of expect that so they don't get surprised yeah. if i go into like a four minute monologue about doing sound for jimmy world <laughs> yeah i <laughs> know yeah, definitely well i i i word of what book i wear i want to book one i want to book i have a pretty big backyard yeah. i could fit five people back there I, i'm not sure exactly how it'll go but I, I was thinking of basically just asking for a guarantee and then letting people decide yeah do they want to charge or do they only want their friends yeah. or do they want to like advertise it and, and allow strangers on their property or, yeah. you know, like, like how to do it. But I think basically if I just set a flat rate and just say, you know, for this, you know, few hundred dollars, whatever, I'll, I'll bring in a little PA, I'll do the show yeah. and, and I'll sell some merch and, you know, and, and, you know, it's not going to be cheap for somebody to put on a party, but on the other hand, for putting on a party, it won't be expensive either compared no. to some things, you know, cause yeah. I'll bring the PA and, I'll probably bring some little lights or something so it I'll be self-contained. Yeah. And um so you know if you want to throw a party for your family and friends and and not ask them for money, you know, that then you, you that's up to you if you want to be generous, yeah. but you just pass the hat too at the end. That's a good way, you know. Just Yeah. It's 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 sustainable, I think it is. And uh, my friend Ron Hawkins does it up here. He does mm-hmm. kitchen parties, does private parties. He flies all over Canada and does shows in people's kitchens and uh he seems to be doing okay. Everything's fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. well, I, I would, I wouldn't be comfortable if it was my hat passing around. I think I'd be, yeah. In order for me to plan something like that, I think I need to have a host with a guarantee. Yeah. And then maybe the hat is to repay them 
Yeah. Or I mean, maybe it could be partial, like that the guarantee sure. is a certain amount just to get me there and that the hat's like kind of gravy. Yeah. Or it could be that the hat pays that person back. Sure. I think that I would prefer. <laughs> yeah. I'd prefer a higher guarantee and then the hat, like, because the hat is yeah. kind of like for their friends, like, yeah. hey, you know, you know, Simon invited you to this party. You got to at least throw in 20 bucks, right? <laughs> yeah. Like you drank his beer, you ate yeah. his food. Yeah, come on. The hot dogs. The bratwurst <laughs> and the hamburgers. The hot dogs don't buy themselves. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I've got a few months to think about it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to brainstorm so that people uh, kind of expect it when, when I start doing it. Like I'm dead serious about this. I'm not. Uh, yeah. I think it it's a great idea. I think yeah. it's something that, that should be done. Uh, people are starving for entertainment. I can tell you that. Um, there's not, and you know, I know, I don't know about America, but in Canada, all the theaters, everything's closed until January. So mm-hmm. people got to, you know, they got to kind of juke and jive and try to make a hustle to get things going and, and what the results are kind of neat. There's been some pretty neat things. I mean, things are getting furthered when it comes to uh, virtual shows and streaming. And, um, you know, like I said before, yeah, the big yeah. compromise. But the compromise, something cool might come out of it. Like, people are thinking um, way ahead, way outside of the box now. Like, I spoke to a, a guy who works at Feldman up here in Canada, if you're familiar with the booking agency. But um, he told me that... What they're doing in back rooms, talking about how they're going to make shows and make art and make it um, uh, sustainable and so people can make money, it would never, it would take 10 years to get there, but they're getting there in the next eight months. Like the eight, past eight months, they've been figuring out a way to do live shows so the band can make money, the, um, the presenter can make money, and um, ultimately the promoter can make, or sorry, the booking agent can make money. Great. And yeah, ten years in a, ten years ahead. That's what he said. So it's like, wow. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I I feel like I mean, obviously, the pandemic has to be over. It has to be pretty safe to be able to pull this stuff off. Yeah. But I kind of feel like investing in myself as a performer and with my portfolio is is kind of never going to go out of style. Like I don't, I don't like if somebody really likes my songs. If I'm in their family room singing to them or in their backyard. Like, I don't, I think that'll always have some value. Always. They're, they're, always. I, I don't know whether my, you know, my skills as an engineer, like as long as I can do it, um, I, I think that, you know, only I can do that. And that, mm-hmm. and that has some value to it, I think. Yeah. So I just have to write more songs and get <laughs> them out there to where, yeah. where more of an audience yeah. cares about it and, and find the right places to tour. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, people who watch the show are n- never disappointed. There, there's nobody who's no. like, man, you know, yeah. if you had only sang on pitch a little more often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you would have told more stories, you know. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's uh, it, like people people aren't bummed. So that's, no. um, so that'll be a good thing. And the more, and the more it happens and the more happy people there are, then it'll kind of build a reputation too. That's amazing. I suppose like your po- podcast, yeah. like just you know, it constantly grows as people yeah. appreciate it and, and people who find, find it, who will appreciate it. I agree. I think that's the hard part is finding people who find what they like. You know, when we get off Mike, I have a few ideas. I'll, I will shoot by you to see if you think it would be something to do, but, uh, but yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I think it's a great idea. So, uh, Let's, um, when the other song comes out, maybe we'll talk again. Maybe, you know what I mean? That's what, how, when's the sure. next signal coming out? Like in a couple of weeks, you say? Um, yeah, I can't remember. Uh, I don't remember the, the schedule, but yeah. Well, why don't we do when it October actually comes out? Yeah. Why don't we so do October? Yeah. We'll do sometime in October when it actually comes out. 
we'll talk sure. about it and we'll listen to more songs and then we'll uh we'll pitch this great idea that i'm going to pitch you in about 35 seconds <laughs> <laughs> okay thanks Simon. thanks man so is that is this it for the show should i say goodbye or yeah say or... goodbye okay well thank thanks so much for having me and and uh again the band's called 10 foot pole there's a t-e-n 10 foot pole.com t-e-n-f-o-o-t-p-o-l-e so love to uh keep in touch with people thanks thanks for having me Mr. Dennis Jagger of Ten Foot Pole, his second visit. And I'm trying to remember. It was very, very early in the podcast's uh, history when Dennis came on the show. I want to say like four or five years ago. And uh, yeah, good to go check out the album Simmer Down on on Spotify, I think, on Apple Apple Music. And he's just putting like a few little singles out. And then in October will be the big release, which is about a month from now. And he'll be on the show again. Just when this whole thing comes out, we'll actually probably end up just reconnecting and talking about the album proper. This was more of a catch-up. Uh, yeah, so I don't think you can even listen to this song yet, but, you know, whatever you heard it, you heard it, go back and listen to it. It's at the, uh, where is it, about the 35-minute mark. I'm not feeling well. I, uh, I think I have an egg intolerance. I uh, ate some eggs this morning. And I, it happened two days in a row. I, like maybe it's the same eggs, but I immediately felt like vomiting as soon as I ate these eggs. And I don't know what's wrong with me. It's a gross feeling though, because it's like, it's worse than acid reflux. It's like the eggs are trying to escape your body. I know it's too much, too much information. And I usually don't make the show about me. I figured I'd tell you all about, um, almost vomiting into the sink while I was doing dishes. I didn't tell you, but I just did. Uh, this could be the worst outro ever on earth uh, for everybody listening. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking about starting a forum on Facebook called Eggs Intolerance, Intolerance of Eggs, or whatever. It'll be it'll be catchy name. And we'll talk about how much eggs want to make us want to vomit. Well, I hope it doesn't, because I like eggs. Anyways, enough about that hot egg talk. Let's talk about next week. What do I have happening next week? Next week, there will be a podcast. I, I'm trying to get... Um, a few friends who uh, have been dogging me over the past couple of weeks to get on board and uh, you know who you are get on board so next week there will be a podcast and it will be me talking on the mic it will be hopefully with a better voice I think this feels kind of low nice talking to y'all nice talking to you Dennis and we'll see you next week